chapter 5, page 1822 in the Bench Bibles, beginning the reading at verse 1. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving, or of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God's. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient, Therefore, do not be partners with them. And then the next verse is our text. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them, for it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is the light that makes everything visible. We'll end the reading here, the very words of God. We as a nation are already voting, even though election day is a week and a half away, so I thought it'd be a good idea to address the subject of God and God's words for the state. Now, a few introductory comments are in order because our subject must be handled carefully and you must know exactly what's happening in this sermon. Number one, we are Christians. We believe in Jesus, Savior, Christ, anointed one, able to save, and Lord, ruler. We are also Reformed Christians. The Reformers taught us to apply God's law also in our nations and to our nations. God's law to our nations. The reformers spoke of what they called, in English anyway, uses of the law, emphasizing the three. The first of those uses was what they called the civil use. God's law addresses our state and our society. Now, We in the Christian Reformed Church, third here, 
come in basically three kinds, doctrinalists, pietists, and Kuyperians. When our children were at Dort College, James Scop, an excellent writer, wrote a play about those three movements in the Christian Reformed Church. We're interested in right doctrine, that was our emphasis this morning. We are pietists, interested in heart religion. Sometimes maybe the pietism becomes so prominent it drowns out the third one. We are also what Scott called kipes. He made a play about that, and my daughter Pam was a piano player when that play went around the denomination. The point about the so-called kipes is we in the Christian Reformed Church are also interested in what the Reformers called that first use of God's law, God's law applied to our nations. So we're going to get to God's Ten Commandments very soon. Now when we come to the New Testament, Jesus speaks often of the kingdom of heaven, and we are kingdom citizens. In fact, Jesus speaks much more of kingdom than church. Kingdom begins in our hearts, pietistic emphasis, extends out into our lives, sin, salvation, and service on the part of God's people. But kingdom also extends out into the nations where we live. Now we as Christian and Reformed and Kingdom citizens, you'll notice I'm very carefully defining some things here, we do not, as a church, recommend a political party or candidates for election, and we do not abandon the spiritual in the realm of the temporal. There may be some danger of that in churches today. We do affirm God's Ten Commandments for civil use, for state and society, in the various and all of the kingdoms of this world, including the USA. As such, the law of God, the Ten Commandments in particular, become a model, or if you will, a lesson plan. Our teachers will understand that language or a blueprint. Most of you will understand the word blueprint better. A blueprint for the laws of the land. And we, God's people, prioritize God's law among many secondary issues, or at least we should. The secondary issues are many, many. Healthcare, immigration policy, environment, foreign policy, and on and on. We Christians, though, have a deep interest in the Ten Commandments being applied to our nation. And so we're going to speak this evening of the Ten Commandments. I can't have ten points. I'll have to highlight some. And I'll try to continue to make clear why this sermon is what it is. The first commandment is, you shall have no other gods 
before me. Our United States Constitution, Amendment 1, reads, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. There are two clauses, no established religion, like the colonists knew in England, Anglican Church, Netherlands Reformed Church, German Lutheran Church, no established church, and besides no established church, no prohibiting the free exercise of religion. I think all of you are aware that there are enemies to the free exercise of religion, and it has looked in recent years like maybe that First Amendment is completely abolished in practice. It should not be so. The words wall of separation that Thomas Jefferson wrote to the Baptists in 1803 are not meant to negate Christianity in public. I want you to listen to a quotation from one of the most insightful men I know of in church or in our history, the Frenchman Alexis de Tocqueville. He wrote it in 1831. He said, I sought for the greatness of the United States in her commodious harbors, her ample rivers, her fertile fields, and boundless forests, and it was not there. I sought for it in her rich mines, her vast world commerce, her public school system, and in her institutions of higher learning, and it was not there. I looked for it in her democratic congress and her matchless constitution, and it was not there. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. End quotation. In the early years of the United States, the preachers were expected to say, God says and the Ten Commandments and apply those commandments to the nation. Now we've lost a lot of that. But what I'm saying to you tonight is a lot the same that was spoken by Alexis de Tocqueville here. The greatness of our nation is applying the law of God to that nation. We need to pronounce in the name of God that which is good and that which is good for us. And that's what makes America great. Now let me try to go on just a little bit here and then we'll move forward. We as Christians... Reformed and kingdom citizens who want to say, Thus saith the law of God to our land, should understand our times. 1 Chronicles 12 32, as the men of Issachar did to their times. 
we should be wise. Jesus said, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. We should be salt and light in this world. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Our text makes much the same emphasis with a lot of statements in that rather long scripture we read. May call your attention specifically to verses 8 through 10. Live as children of light. Find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. That's the main point and the call of the sermon to you and to me this evening. Now that first commandment is no other gods. The second commandment is no images. You shall not make for yourself an image. Images distort the true God and make false myths about God. Let me mention a couple of those myths because some people say if you repeat these enough, people believe them. One myth in our land is that the majority makes right. That's one version of might makes right. The fact is, God makes right, and if God is a minority of one, God is right and the majority is wrong. Another myth is you can't legislate morality. Really? You all know better, don't you? Most legislation legislates morality. Another one I've heard an awfully lot lately that is bad news, and we'll come back to it with a later commandment. The United States of America is a democracy. Not so. The forefathers avoided democracy on purpose and set up a representative government. We democratically elect representatives who rule in our place because every true democracy in history has failed. Now, one more myth you have to be aware of, and that's that non-Christians love to call themselves neutral, as if they are unbiased and have no religion and no religious commitment. Jesus said, know that all people are for me or against me. Luke eleven twenty three. whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Those who are against God sometimes pretend in great pride that they aren't prejudiced like you religious people. They're fully as prejudiced and probably much more intolerant and really underneath consider you to be bad people. Or to borrow the words from a presidential candidate four years ago, deplorables. You have to be aware of those facts, even if you don't talk about them. 
Those are images or idols that distort the true God. Now, those are the first two commandments. I'm going to go on with the others and emphasize a bit five through ten. The third commandment is you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Actually, I think the King James is a better translation here. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The old English word vain meant empty as in vanity. Vanity of vanities means emptiness of emptiness or meaningless of, of meaninglessness. In our day, the word vain has come to mean proud, and vanity has come to mean a piece of bedroom furniture, so it's hard to translate the commandment the old King James way. What commandment three is saying to us, dear friends, is that we are to pay not only lip service to Christianity, but life service to Christianity. In words already quoted from Elijah, if God is God, follow him. Say what you mean and mean what you say. That's what the third commandment is about. That means we should be aware of insults to God, such as when he's called the higher power. Such vague language insults God. And, of course, we must not be impressed with all of the cussing and cursing we hear in the media and all over in our day. That's one application of the third commandment, but only one. Now, remember, I'm calling on you to be light in your nation, to be wise amongst your peers. That means vote wisely. That means Talk wisely, that means behave wisely, be salt and light. Now that much said, we're going to go on with the Ten Commandments who tell you to be, how to be, all that you're called to be. The fourth commandment, the Sabbath commandment, is remember the Sabbath day. Sadly, we have way too many so-called Christian ignoramuses around, including bedside Baptists, pillow Presbyterians, and even too many who are reformed and ignorant of what it means to be Christian and reformed and ignore the opportunity to witness to being Christian and reformed in their nations. That's sad. We should be aware that Sunday is for rest and worship, not, first of all, a fun day. We ought to worship God one or two hours of 168. That's not too much to ask when the average U.S. household spends 56 hours in front of television every week. Weekdays, we might be wise to ask what those bracelets some years ago told us to ask, what would God do? What would God do? What would God say and do? Speak the word of the Lord to your nation. Now, we'll go on to the fifth commandment at this point. The fifth commandment is, 
honor your father and your mother. This fifth commandment is the honor commandment, the authority commandment. Submit to proper authority. This fifth commandment is very important in the life of our nation. I want to try to explain slowly and as clearly as I can right now. We need to learn or maybe relearn and re-emphasize about the human state that God is what I called earlier model or maybe prototype or blueprint for all human government, whether those be kingships, dictatorships, republics like the USA is, or whatever. God is the government. We've got in the habit of using language that confuses. We speak of Washington, D.C. as the government. It is not. I like to use the words like Washington, D.C. is the state or human government because God is the government of the nation. May God's people emphasize that God himself is the blueprint for the life of the nation. Now, there are wrong views of the state out there. We're not a sacral society like Israel before they had kings. And we're not a mere society with a social contract with the government, as someone emphasized about the time our nation started. And we should not be a humanistic society. And we're certainly not a theocracy like many Islamic countries. Our money says, in God we trust. We pledge allegiance to one nation under God. This means that God, and I'm going to repeat myself, is the government. And the United States government is good to the extent that the United States government is godly. And the United States government is bad to the extent that the United States government is ungodly. Be wise, folks. Be salt. Be light in your nation. Now, God is the government. That means that governing should be under God's law. God's law applied in the nation. If my notes are right, I didn't tell you yet about something that happened in my life. When my father was 90, some years ago, he was interviewed by the historical society of his hometown there in Grand Rapids, Michigan, because he remembered things no one else they knew had memories of. On the way home from that interview, we heard on the radio that the United States Supreme Court supposedly found a new right, the right to homosexual practice. I thought to myself, have they read history? History's full of homosexuality. But Dad asked a question. His question was, what did the Supreme Court say about what the Bible says about homosexual practice? 
Now, I suppose you can expect a question like that from a 90-year-old man. My answer was, I'm sure they didn't pay any attention. Five of nine unelected justices, unelected, lifelong, no account to the voters, basically made a law of the land that day. No wonder we have all this tension over the Supreme Court with what the court is doing. But the point I want to make, and this is important, God is the government of the universe. Governing should be by God's law under God. Governors, whether executive, legislation, or judicial, should govern consistent with God's law. And we need to know that the purpose of the state, stated different ways, is basically negative and positive. Negative to restrain evil and positive to promote and preserve good justice and order. And that's done by governing under God. Dear people of God, say it in any way you can in our nation. I know you feel small. I know you feel one little vote that's insignificant. I know you have many enemies if you say, thus saith the Lord, the law of God in public, but do it anyway. Now the sixth commandment is you shall not murder. We know that preborn babies are not things called fetuses, or that Jesus, for that matter, in his incarnation, went from pre-incarnate, second person of the Trinity, to a thing in Mary's womb for nine months, and then became a person. We, God's people, affirm the life of unborn babies in any way that we can. It's one of those basics that we're to be aware of. It's not the only issue, but it's a basic issue. Today's abortionists have moved to favoring abortion for any reason or no reason, up to actual birth, and recently beyond actual birth, if an aborted baby is born alive and left to die. That used to be called infanticide. Now it's favored by many abortionists. That's sad. We Christians oppose genocide. The 1900s into the 2000s have been the most genocidal time in human history. Hitler, Stalin, and by my research, 10 genocidal movements with total numbers of 20 to 30 million people murdered in these genocides, the most recent ones being in African countries, Islamics against Christians in nations like South Sudan and Nigeria. If my count and research is right, in the United States since 1973, 61 million babies in the womb, 23 million of them black babies, have been aborted. They say black lives matter. How about black babies? 
Abortion can be a symptom of a nation in the downward spiral. Speaking very strongly right now, and you're listening, but again, the main point, be light in the name of God and with the law of God in your land. The seventh commandment is the adultery commandment. You shall not commit adultery. Our Bibles tell us that a man is to leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Now lately, we hear of a lot of so-called exceptions. There's this LGBTQ movement, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. And I read an article in research this week of another letter we're supposed to add, Q, which can mean either questioning or Q, and A, which can mean asexual or ally, ally of all the above. Add all them up and you have more alphabet soup than I can remember. We, God's people, disagree with the United States Supreme Court, that majority of five of nine unelected, appointed for life justices who declared a law on their own. We, God's people, also decry pornography, X-rated cable television channels, magazines, movies, cyberspace, and internet. Also, obscene gestures and suggestive talk. Computer internet pornography among men is a very bad problem in our time, no doubt about it. Commandment eight, the no stealing commandment. You shall not steal. The Bible says the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Now we live in a time in which the national debt is very, very high. The United States currently has more than 125 trillion in unfunded liabilities. That comes down to the United States owing about 75,000 per citizen for every citizen, children too with the United States taxpayers $200,000 in debt to the national debt. We have neither Republicans nor Democrats speaking against burgeoning debt, which is happening right now. I have to ask, is it possible that our debt is a kind of stealing either stealing by way of future inflation, stealing from future generations. After all, the Bible says the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. I'd like you to hear a quotation now by one of the most recognized experts in political theory in human history. He wrote the time our country was formed. Professor Alexander Tyler 
wrote a prophetic statement. A democracy cannot exist as a permanent form of government. It can only exist until the voters discover that they can vote for themselves largesse from the treasury. From that moment on, the majority will always vote for the candidates promising the most benefits from the public treasury with the result that a democracy always collapses over loose physical policy. Is it possible that our biggest enemy is not Russia or China, but an internal enemy, our debt? Professor Tyler goes on to say that the average democracy in history, there have been many, some rather small city-states, have lasted 200 to 250 years. From 1776, 250 years for us is 19, I mean, is 2026. We God's people need to be aware that part of our voice to the nation is, you shall not steal. Now the ninth commandment is the no false witness commandment. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. I'm deeply, deeply concerned, as I hope you are too, with media, political talk, that has become vile and vicious and vitriolic and vituperative, and with political and media talk that is one lie after another, sometimes by commission of the lie, sometimes by omission. If such lies are exposed, they're seldom retracted, and they are propagated over the internet by all kinds of sources, including, we're told, likely foreign nations, the spin and the smear can become a lie. People of God, you are needed. You who believe what the Bible says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Commandment 10, you shall not covet. We can only hope that the first driving purpose of politicians is not coveting that they get reelected and get rich, and that all the administrators, bureaucrats, and highly paid lawyers who cling to government and government service, and business people and businesses that sometimes overcharge government if they can get away with it, do not covet. There, we've gone through the Ten Commandments. I want to remind you at this point that God's call to you is to be the people of God's commandment in your nation. Be salt, be light, be wise, and in the words of our checks, live as children of light in any and every way you can. I'd like to conclude by quoting one of our patriotic songs, God Bless America, not written even by a Christian, by the way. Irving Berlin was a secular Jew, but many things he says resonate with Christians very well. God bless America, land that I love. 
Stand beside her and guide her through the night with the light from above. May God bless you in this season of thinking about our nation, voting, and all associated with such. And may God continue to bless America. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, the United States needs these people. And my prayer is that this type of a sermon, which was so common in the early years and which de Tocqueville saw as the power of making this nation good, my prayer is that these people here may know and perhaps relearn the fact that the basics of God's law are to be the light for our nation, the blueprint. And may we go out now in all that we think and say and do and vote and interact with others, stand up for your ways as we have them in your Ten Commandments. Amen.